Welcome to episode 98 of the Plant Cunning Podcast, and today we have on herbalist, author, teacher, and podcaster, Rosalie de la Forêt, and we're going to talk about herbalism, about herbal podcasting, and about upper respiratory infections and herbs for that. It's actually a really in-depth conversation, and you're going to learn a lot. Also, before we get into the episode, I'd like to share with you my new show. It's Ask Isaac. It's an online video advice column, basically, using the techniques of horror astrology. And it's a lot of fun. I put the first episode out last week, and you can check that out on YouTube. And please, if you have some questions, hit me up. It's a fun project, and I'm really excited about it. I also want to just say a few words about Stephen Harry Buner, who recently passed. I know he's a controversial figure for some, but nobody can deny the significance of his contributions to the herbal community. And my heart goes out to his family, his partner, and everyone who has been touched by his work. So let's get to the episode. Okay, so today on the Plant Conning Podcast, we have Rosalie de la Forêt. And uh, Rosalie is a rock star in the herbal community. <laughs> She's a best-selling author, uh, teacher, and has an amazing podcast, Herbs with Rosalie. So, Rosalie, how are you today? Oh, I'm really good, and I'm just thrilled to be here. It's a, it's fun to be, you know, in, in conversation, chatting with folks who are also fellow herbalists and podcasters. So, yeah, yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, us too. So we do have a traditional first question on the plant cutting podcast, and it's how did you come to the plant path? Mm, that's the best first question because we all want to know how we all got here. <laughs> um, well, I started on the plant path when I was in my early 20s, and it was like a convergence of all these different events in my life. I... Um, one, I was an activist, a human rights activist, an environmental activist who is becoming increasingly cynical about the world and people. Because basically, I was like hanging up flower flyers and doing lots of shouting and getting arrested and you know doing the protesting, and it just felt like I don't know. It was hard to like you know. Surprisingly, when you yell at people, they aren't like running to you with open arms. <laughs> so, but you know, early 20s, and I was very just mystified why the world was the way it was and why we weren't doing things to change that. So, that was kind of that going on in my life. And then I, through a series of circumstances, found myself at an earth skills school. And I started taking all of their classes, like, three-day weekend, you know, survival classes and do it, then doing their longer apprenticeships. And pretty early on in that experience, I was really drawn to the plants. I just loved learning about them. And before that, I didn't know any plant. Like one of my first classes, the teacher kept talking about planting. I lived in the Dominican Republic, so I thought they were talking about um, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was like, and I'm like, wow, they grow here. I had no idea. I was just outside of Seattle at the time. And, mm. and the teacher, she said, yeah, they grow all over the driveway. And my mind was just like, whoa, I had no idea. <laughs> but anyway, got to know plantain. Um, and, uh, so I had that experience and that was really an awakening experience for me because I truly had, as I'm saying that, wall of green experience where all plants were the same 
And it was this real awakening to the living world around me and becoming used to recognizing uh, plants as uh, friends, as food, as medicine, as shelter, as materials to make tools and baskets with. And so I just felt like I had my whole perspective and landscape shift dramatically uh, and just seeing the world in a whole new way and feeling this incredible sense of connection. And I watched myself go through that. I watched my fellow students go through that. And in that, you know, through that experience, I just thought, oh, this is the way. This is much better than yelling at people um, in terms of you know, when we find that deep connection to the land around us, that is what can help inspire us to then deeply care for the world around us. And so that was happening. And then while I was in school, I ended up having this strange set of symptoms. I got this crazy rash that would show up all over my body and move around. And I had this intense fever that would just come at night, like 104 every night, and then it'd be gone in the morning. And then I had horrible aches and pains, like I could barely move. So like for a month, I was just like at home watching Ellen on daytime TV show. Like it was pretty bad. Yeah. No offense to Ellen, but it was just daytime TV is not the greatest. Saw a lot of makeovers. Um, I never really watched TV before. So it was like, anyway, so it was a very, you know, serious situation. I finally was admitted to the hospital and um, they finally, after weeks and, you know, I felt like draining half my blood because they were so concerned because I was in wilderness school and, you know, we ate some, you know, like squirrels and other things. So they were testing me for all sorts of diseases. They finally figured out that I had a terminal autoimmune disease and I had a whole team of uh, rheumatologists and everybody. And they just said, you know, this is the way of it. And um, you'll probably die by the time you're 40 and we can give you steroids, but you know, those are only going to work for so long. Um, so it's just a declining quality of life um, and an early end. And luckily, I just didn't really believe them. Like, it was a really shitty thing to hear, right? I wasn't like, oh, that's no big deal. But I also at the same time was just kind of like, okay, like they literally gave me a brochure and said, you know, good luck. And oh and they gave me tons of steroids. Too. <laughs> but it was, you know, like, but that they really just didn't have any answers. So I lived in Seattle at the time. Uh, I didn't have, you know, I had was barely making ends meet, but there's all sorts of like student clinics there. So I started like, you know, jumped on the bus and went to Bastyr and um, went to all these different like acupuncture clinics and naturopath clinics and all this stuff and started seeing all these different practitioners, including herbalists. And what was interesting to me is not one of them really cared about what the disease I had was. Um, like they would mark it down, but then they'd be like, you know, well, and how is your sleep? And what do you eat? And, and like, at times I was like, okay, like now, you know what I eat and you know, my bedtime, but like, like I have a disease that's killing me. So maybe we should like get back to that. Um, (laughs) I just didn't, you know, like that was my frame of mind at the time, which I like to remind myself of that often because now I'm often on the other side of that. Um, but yeah, they wanted to know who I was and, um, basically long story short six months later of taking lots of herbs and doing all these other just kind of lifestyle holistic things I didn't have symptoms anymore and I haven't had them since so that was like this huge paradigm shift because I was going to wilderness school and feeling this deep sense of connection we were you know doing things with the plants we were making baskets and we were learning about them and we were making dandelion mead and 
um, mm. eating them and making medicines with them. But in my mind, it was kind of like, like this really cool thing I was doing. Like I had a job, you know, and I was doing this on the side and, um, but it was kind of like a hobby, I guess. So having this very serious terminal illness, having no answers from Western medicine, and then just seeing that dramatically change with herbs, I was, I was sold. I was like, this is my <laughs> life now. And I just knew that there were other people out there who must be going through something similar, right? And who like, you know, were choosing Western medicine because they had a serious illness and not getting help. And I wanted to be the person to help them too. So that's when I, um, you know, the school I was in was not an herbalist school per se, right? it was a wilderness school. So after that, that's when I got very serious about kind of clinical herbalist studies. Yeah. And where did you go from there? Did you study um, at like a specific herb school or did you find a teacher to apprentice mm -hmm. with? Or? Mm -hmm. um, I should say Karen Sherwood was my wilderness school teacher. Um, I just learned so much from her botany and that connection to plants and tending plants, giving back to plants. I'm so grateful you know, so much of my studies were her, with her were in the field. And so I'm so grateful that I had that as this introduction to the plant world. Um, and then I went to the East West School of Herbology in uh, California, Santa Cruz. And that is like a, in a long distance school. Plus you go there um, as well for a week out of the year. So I did that and did their four year uh, degree or certificate. Um, and that's like traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda and Western herbalism. Very cool. And then I did everything I could get my hands on with Paul Berger, Paul Bergner. I never yeah. um, went to his school, which was in Colorado at the time, but I did, you know, he has lots of recordings out there. So did all of that and um, spent a week with him in the rainforest. He took his students there and he mentioned it on Facebook. And this is like, I don't know, 2011 or something. And, um, and I just wrote him and I was like, I want to come. And he says, well, it's for like my students. I was like, I still want to come. And he let me. So that was great. Wow. And, um, and awesome. so learned, a, I feel it was just wonderful. I mean, I'd spent like thousands of hours of listening to him because I just listened to his CDs over and over and over again. Um, and then I did my clinical studies with Carter Products in Kalsa. And I spent years of just all of my clients. Uh, I would run by him and get his feedback. And so, and I did. Uh, hundreds of hours of in-person classes with him as well. So actually I, I lived on the other side of the mountains in Washington state. And what I would do is I'd drive five or six hours to Seattle, listen to Paul the whole way there. Nice. Then I'd go to this, you know, weekend long <laughs> class with KP, which was like eight hours of class at least a day, then drive back, you know, after the weekend and listen to Paul on the way. So that was kind of some very formative years right there. And then yeah, of course, um, yeah, all of the conferences, and I've learned so much from Jim McDonald, and who's now a good friend of mine, and, and so many people, really. It's just, I love to just soak up everything I can. I'm taking a class with Guido Maze right now, so learning never ends, thankfully. Botanic-wise, the brain health Yeah, class? yeah, the brain awesome. class, yeah. Cool, nice. Yeah, those are all amazing people. Yeah. That's so nice to be able to, like, run your herb um, clients by your teacher that you trust. I feel like that must have been so crucial in just developing your skills and confidence as mm -hmm. a Oh, it really was. And just learning so much. Cause there's one thing, like, I feel like in classes, it's kind of easy to learn like what you do in most situations, like here, you know, when someone presents like this, here's what will probably work. 
-hmm. but with what I had with KP, you know, he had 40 years of experience under his belt. So it's like, okay, we tried the obvious thing that didn't work. Now we're going to try the less obvious thing. And sometimes it was the less and less and less obvious thing, you know, but there was all of these um, layers. And so, yeah, it was great. And as starting out as an herbalist too, you know, people didn't, like, it was a way for me to like talk to potential clients to be like, you're not just getting me, <laughs> you're getting my mentor too. And to be able to, you know, have people feel confident in the experience, even though I was just starting out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, valuable. And to go back to like just getting into past the wall of green, I, I think that's just an, a, a really amazing way to connect with uh, the living cosmos is through mm -hmm. herbalism, um, mm -hmm. and through wild skills, because like, you know, there, you, there's this wall of green, then suddenly there's, there's all of these beings. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I think that really does get to the root of a lot of the problems in the, in the world too. So yeah, it really does. And yeah. it brings herbalism to life because instead of being right. students of like the supplement aisle, we uh -huh. become students of the world around us. Yeah, mm -hmm. that is true. Something I forget sometimes too, because like I got into all of this through foraging and, and so on when I was a kid. And so I, I always had that kind of mindset, but there is like this, the whole culture of, of supplements that you get at the store, which mm -hmm. is, you know, I guess that's good too, but I think that the having a connection with the with the actual plants is is it's really powerful. Yeah, and that's what we're kind of about too. That's mm -hmm. where we're, we're trying to go. <laughs> but um, yeah, sounds like like yeah, yeah, driving five hours, listening, and then taking the class. And that's really that's intense. Yeah, you're going full in. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, I've come to realize I have somewhat of an obsessive personality in that way. Like last year, I knit twelve sweaters, sweaters, and I Did was like, really? "Okay, yeah." I'm like, I'm seeing a trend here. Like, if I go, if I really want to go in on something, I'm in. Like, there's just no stopping me. So, mm -hmm. it sounds like Isaac over here. A little, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I haven't gotten into sweaters yet because I'm, <laughs> maybe I like the yet in that you just never know. There's a yet exactly. there. Someday, someday, maybe. Yeah. So you've also got a pretty sweet podcast going on. You're doing it really well. It's, it's very professional. You've got a lot of amazing guests. Yeah. Um, so how did you get into, into doing that? Well, thank you. I can say the same for you as well. So uh, appreciate yeah. it. Um, well, funnily enough, I did not really envision myself being a podcaster. And I had not really listened to a lot of podcasts when I started my own um, I don't commute or anything, so I just didn't have this, like, I don't know, time set aside in my life to listen to podcasts even. But I surveyed my newsletter list, and I have folks on there who have been with me for two days and people who've been there with, for me with a decade, right? So I have a lot, of, a lot of folks on there from people who are just very familiar with what I do and people who are just brand new. And um, I surveyed them, and I said, how do you want to hear from me? And the number one thing was YouTube channel. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Um, and then also, you know, podcast. I knew, just knew, knew those two were connected. Like if I was going to do one, I was going to do the other. So it really came out of that survey. I have really have my, um, my audience to thank for kind of directing me in that way. And I truly did not know what I was getting into and which was probably for the better. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I did initially like hire a company I don't even know what you call them but it's like they 
kind of like walked me through the process and told me like, you know, how to do your intro video and here's how you get on all the podcast apps and stuff. And so they set out, well, they basically set it all up hmm. and then they were going to um, like kind of keep it going. I don't know how to just, they were like production. They were like a production company, I guess. Right. Yeah. So they would do the show notes and the graphics and all that kind of stuff. So I'd signed up on this whole thing and then it ended up not working out with them. And mm-hmm. so like very early on and I was like, oh, well, I've like started this big thing and I'm doing this thing. And now all of a sudden, like this production company is out. So um, ended up just turning it all in house. And that has just been a, a wonderful thing to do, really. I work with seven people on the podcast. Um, I have somebody, Nicole, who kind of project manages the whole thing and keeps it all moving, which is great. And I have someone who does all the audio video editing, which can be a lot, especially on my, I do solo shows, which um, are scripted and I can like, I often mess up. I'll just admit that. Like, I'll just, you know, say the wrong word and I have to back up. And so she does a lot of editing for that to make that a pleasurable listening and viewing experience. (laughs) And I have someone who does original watercolors for the show, which is just totally extravagant, but I love them. (laughs) And I love like beauty. I'm really into aesthetics. And so um, that started out, she just started doing plants and then I started, um, illustrating all the, um, every episode has a recipe associated with it. Cause I'm just super practical and like people yeah. to do things. So mm-hmm. she started illustrating the recipes. So that's going Aww. on. And then I have a um, graphic designer who does things and, um, I have other people who are like kind of plugging in in different ways to get it all set up on YouTube and on the website, and including my husband who also does all the camera work. So yeah, wow. it's, I feel like I'm just like one piece, you know, of this greater thing that's um, truly like more people, other people spend more time on the podcast than I do, which is kind of an ironic thing, but it just a lot of work goes into you, it all. Yeah, a lot of work goes in, but then you get to focus on like the actual interview, which is really the meat of it. And, you know, I bet that that really helps you to to focus in on that. So, <laughs> oh, and that's been like the best. I I had this like vision for the podcast. Like it just came to me, and it was like, oh, of course, that's what I'm going to do. We're going to focus on one herb. I'm going to do solo shows, mm-hmm. and I'm going to do these interviews. And that has been so much fun. Um, so the podcast started in 2021. So we're still kind of you know in COVID and everything. And to be able to meet other herbalists and yeah. um, chat with them, and I'm sure you can relate, has been just so much fun. It's been fun to have my friends on the show. It's been fun to have people I don't know at all on the show and just yeah. hear all these different perspectives. Every single episode, there's jewels and yeah. it has been fun and a pleasure. So that's been really fun. I didn't expect to love it as much, I guess. Oh, you know? really? <laughs> yeah, because I really, again, like I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be a podcast host. It was kind of like I asked, you know, my folks, how do you want to hear from me? And this is what they said. So I was just kind of, okay, I'll do this for you. You know, if this is what you want. I'll do it for you. But, you know, in the end, it's been really great for me that's, too. Yeah, it's really cool. I love that you focus on the one herb too. I think that's a really cool model because. Um, a lot of times people will just like Google a one herb that they're looking into and, you know, then they'll come across your podcast and really get like a deep dive about it with some really trusted herbalists. So I think yeah. it's a really awesome model that you've come up with there. Yeah, um, it's been fun. Yeah. So what have some of your challenges been with the podcast? Oh, tech problems. I have those <laughs> are the worst. Oh my gosh. They are the worst. And it sometimes things are just so smoothly, you know, they go so smoothly. Um, I just interviewed Ola Tacumbo on the show, which I know you've recently had her on as well. 
-hmm. And she is just this incredible source of knowledge and just Mm -hmm. grounded wisdom. And I was so excited to have her on the show. And I'm still so excited that we're having her on the show. Um, And I interviewed her while she was in Kenya. Mm-hmm. And the connection was just not great. So we spent like hours of like, can you hear me now? Oh, oh man, you're, fro- you're frozen. Okay. Oh. Okay. No, I can, I can hear you now. Okay. Where were we? <laughs> so, but that, you know, big shout out to Francesca, my editor, who uh-huh. I know she's going to make that look much better <laughs> despite that, um, all those difficulties. So yeah, those, those things aren't fun. Just the audio visual. Sometimes I've asked people to be on the show and they, um, like one thing I wanted to do early on was I, I like having big names on the show, but I really wanted to reach out to people who are like just very in their local communities and maybe don't have big platforms. And so in that situation, sometimes people just don't have the ability. Like I've had that happen. Like they just don't, they, they cannot handle the, you know, like things I offer to send people like I've several times now I've sent people headphones um I just order them and send them to their house and stuff that they don't have the audio things but it's still just like too much yeah. tech well, for yes. the herbalist you know so I've run into that too where like somebody they just they haven't done it yet and they're just way too nervous yeah too, over, too much overwhelm and they're just like I can't do it mm-hmm. yeah but the other thing that's been surprising to me is that I have no shortage of people to be on the show So it's not like that's a problem, but it's been surprising to me. Like, I don't really have people tell me no, but I have people just like not respond to me. So like, you know, like there's, I ask a lot of people to be on the show who don't come on the show. And so that's been interesting to me too. Um, Or people who like say yes, but then just kind of like ghost me later. So I don't know what goes on. I think like, I think sometimes it is the nervousness. Maybe someone decides they actually don't like me in the end. I don't know. But that's been just kind of this interesting thing of like, I just had this like, okay, I'm going to have this person, this person, this person. And I've had to like readjust my mind and be like, okay, I'm going to extend invitations. So when I think about a season, I might extend 20 invitations in the hopes of getting 20 or 10 people to respond. That's been interesting. I did not expect that. Um, And I can't fully explain it, but it is what it is. Yeah. I, I just, I always go back to they hate me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's just like too, too, they forgot about it. It's just way down in their, their email at this point, yeah. and they, you know, or they're just too busy. There's o- the overwhelm we get. Yeah. So this happens to you too. It's not just me. Yeah. <laughs> Surprising though. The, the, <laughs> the people who do respond and when it, like you, like you, you're like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. And like, you know, we've just, we've had some amazing, uh, yeah. Stephen Harry Buner, Rosemary Gladstar, like, Margie, we just had, Margie Flint comes on while we're recording this. Um, the, her episode comes uh, online, <laughs> but <laughs> like, they say yes. They're like, yeah, yeah. sure. And it's, it's it's really amazing. Yeah. Then you get to speak with those people, um, and that's that's my favorite part of the podcast is getting actually yeah. to have conversations with some of my biggest heroes. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, me too. And it was I have come to the thing of just like. I want people who want to be on the show. If it's a pain for them, if their lives are too busy and they don't, you know, see the value in being on the show, because maybe it isn't value to them, uh, then, you know, it's like, it's better that they're just not on the show. So I've had to come to peace with that as well. Because when it comes down to it, you know, we're, my team is putting so many hours, you know, it costs a lot of money for me to do it. Um, So yeah, I want people on the show who are like, get it and are excited and want to be there. So it's really a matter of like finding who those people are. Yeah. And so you've been doing this for a few years now, right? 
year. Yeah, kind of year and a half or so. Yeah. yeah. So is there any um, any tips that you would offer to new podcasters who are just getting started or who have a dream of getting started with a podcast that um, looking back at your beginning, you would recommend? Mm-hmm. Well, I can see two sides of the coin here. One, I think it was really helpful to have that production company because they really did like set up good practices and kind of showed me the ropes. Um, it wasn't like horribly expensive, but it did cost money. So I would say like, if that's in your means to do something and get it set up and have the best practices, that's great. But then there's also like the DIY, which tends to be a lot cheaper, but maybe take a lot more time. So it just kind of depends. Um, but I think, so I can see the value of a production company, but I also think starting small and just getting started is the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that the person I worked with at the production company said to me early on was that she was really wanted to focus on like the why I was doing it because she said it's easy to get excited and like do this new shiny thing but then you know it might be a slog later on and you might need to like remember like why you're doing this and I can't say that it's ever been a slog but it has been like just a good reminder to myself of like why I'm here, why I'm doing this, and just having that like bigger, the bigger why versus just the like, I'm here. So I think that's helpful and just something to fall back onto of just, you know, what is the bigger why. And I think the most successful shows are going to be the the why really does come to that, whatever is that personal motivation, especially, I mean, I guess I'm just very biased, but I'm thinking about like of spreading the love of plants, helping, you know, transform people's lives. I'm sure that people can make tons of money on podcasts. I have, I'm, I know that must be a thing out there. That is not, like, I, I spend a lot of money on my podcast. Um, the only way I can afford to do it is through my own school and my students uh, are basically subsidizing the podcast, um, which so I'm not obviously the one to like come to if you're like wanting to monetize your podcast. But when it comes to plant podcasts, you know, we tend not to be huge. And so yeah. I think having that bigger why is important. Um, mm, that's such good advice. Going. That's great advice in general too. Like, <laughs> yeah. Even for like, if you have a, whatever you're doing, whatever, <laughs> whatever, yeah, yeah, whatever your endeavor doing. is, you know, getting back to your motivation and your intention is always a good idea. So I just have one last question on podcast before we get into plants, which we really want to talk about, but do you have a favorite episode that, um, our listeners, if our listeners are going to go check out one of your episodes first, do you have a recommendation on, on which one would be a really good one or a couple mm-hmm. that would be good? Yeah, maybe I could do a couple because yeah, it's hard. hard. Um, well, so my most popular uh, interview is with Rosemary Gladstar, and she was graciously the first person who was on the show. Um, she's been so supportive and just a wonderful human being, which if you know her name, you know, I don't need to tell you that, uh, <laughs> then the surprisingly or not, or not actually is the second most popular interview is with Guido, which was from just this past summer. And mm-hmm. I say surprisingly only in that tends to be like the older interviews tend to be the most popular because they've had the most time, right. To get the most downloads. But Guido just shot up there and it was probably one of my favorite interviews in total Guido fashion. He's talking about dandelion and then also like this interconnected nesting of consciousness and um, 
and it was just like in the you know the replies to that one too they're the comments on that episode you could just tell it like it really made an impact and kind of blew some people's minds I think so um Mm -hmm. I think that one is really fun um one of I don't for what it maybe just because Mason um is one of Mason Hutchinson Hutchinson Mm -hmm. Maybe just because he's a friend of mine, but I really enjoyed my interview with Mason. Um, he's I, fun. Yeah, it was just, it was really fun. And so that was a fun one. And then recently I interviewed Lucretia Van Dyke and I just really had a great time with her. She was just really fun. And uh, we laughed a lot. She talked about Tulsi, which is a plant that I love. And so mm-hmm. that was another and like I said, every single one that I've done has like stood out in my mind for some reason, but just off the top of my head, those are ones that come to mind. I know it's a hard question. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I do, I have solo shows, my thing. So I do the solo shows, which are like the deep dives. This is my, like, I think those are better on YouTube because I'm like there in front of the camera and I have lots of B-roll and I try to make them very beautiful. Um, I think the podcast, I do B-roll for podcasts too on the YouTube channel. So there's plans to look at and stuff, but I think like in terms of just listening, I just, maybe it's just because it's me and you know how it is to listen to yourself. So yeah. in terms of like listening on the podcast, I really like the interviews. Sweet. Yeah. So speaking of Tulsi and plants that you love, um, what are some of your plant allies that have stayed with you um, or that stand out in your life? Uh, Tulsi. Yeah. Since I already brought that up, that one is okay. definitely a big one for me. Um, you know, I, I fell in love with that plant as a dried plant. Um, and then I visited my friend Christophe Bernard in southern France. And he, this, so this is actually kind of a funny story. So I go to visit him <laughs> and he's like, you know, brings up Tulsi. And I was like, oh, I love Tulsi too. And he's like, oh yeah, and you can only do it fresh. And I was like, what? like no <laughs> like I have only known it dried I've never had it fresh and we like ran out to his garden and he harvested Tulsi and and so we got to have fresh Tulsi and and that it was amazing and yeah. so anyway so we had that experience with Tulsi many years later we are at IHS together and we're hanging out and I was like oh Christoph, I have to tell you you were right I love fresh Tulsi like nothing compares to fresh Tulsi now it's like it's like one plant that has to be in my garden because I have to have it fresh Mm -hmm. and he was like no way I wanted to tell you there are so many virtues to dried Tulsi (laughs) (laughs) and he's like and now I just love it dried and so we kind of like switched on there although to be fair I use Tulsi both fresh and dried I just especially love it fresh in the summertime but I dry a lot and drink it as tea all winter. And I love the infused oil. That's one of my new favorite things is infused oil of Tulsi, um, which I just use all over my body and in creams and stuff. So, um, so yeah, that's just a favorite one. And, um, yeah, when Lucretia talked about, well, she had her recipe was to put it into pancakes and stuff. So we've been doing that with our, we have waffle Wednesday, uh, at our house. <laughs> and so I put, you know, like the Tulsi and the waffles now and that sort of thing. So yeah, I just rely on it so much. I use it a hydrosol of it. And, um, I use that a lot for just kind of grounding and helping switch perspectives. Like if I'm like in a negative space, there's nothing like some Tulsi spritzes to just kind of change things around and get me on a different track. So yeah so Tulsi is a fabulous one um one plant that I'm looking out my office windows here and I'm 
looking at several feet of snow covering, um, I, I'm just looking out on a forest and so there's snow all over the branches. So it feels like a funny one to bring up, but I love violet. That one's kind uh -huh. of one that I've come to love more recently. So it's kind of that, like I'm still in that like new infatuation phase, mm -hmm. but violets, when they come up here in April, they'll just cover lawns and um, very special ones. So it's not like a plant. It's not like the East coast where like violets are everywhere. It's kind of like, you have to find them here and there, but mm -hmm. just those, like those, that odor, you know, those, those aromatics of the violets are just so, mm -hmm. oh. And then making medicine with violet flowers is so much fun. Um, you know, you can make pinks or purple syrups and then put that into everything, whether it's mocktails, cocktails, uh, cakes. Mm. So that, that's a fun one. And um, which also makes me think of fresh nettles in the springtime. Yeah. I think we should stop talking about spring plants because I have a long winter. <laughs> yeah, a long winter. Yeah. I, do. I do love the evergreens. And today I'm actually filming a, um, a solo video for pine, uh, ponderosa pine. And I live in a ponderosa pine and evergreen or in um, Douglas fir evergreen forest. So mm -hmm. I work with those plants a lot, especially in the wintertime, because there's really not a lot else out there in the landscape for me to work with. So I make bitters oh. with them, um, lots of teas, lots of syrups, and I even like in, in oil infusions too. It's mm -hmm. a fun thing to give for the holidays, uh, evergreen oil infusions, that wonderful smell and oh, uh, make those into creams. Yeah, I think that's my favorite type of smell is the evergreen smell, like when it just mm -hmm. smells the woods on down, like yeah <laughs> yeah I love that with the tea too I can just I drink the tea and it's just like oh I'm, I'm sipping the forest right now oh yeah it's just so grounding and earthy and mm -hmm. strong mm -hmm. strong too strong yeah you know yeah yeah awesome so I guess we should get into uh <clears throat> since we're talking about the seasons uh I mean it seems like herbalism is a great way to get invested and, and connected with the seasons. Um, and, but we're right now, we're in the winter season and this is the, the, the cold and flu season. The upper respiratory. Season for respiratory infections. And it seems like a, a little bit heavier hitting than usual. I got a head cold, first head cold in, in a couple of years mm -hmm. <laughs> and friends came down with the flu and it was like mm -hmm. one of the hardest flus that they've had. Hearing about it from people, friends all over yeah. the country. So, um, yeah. you know, it, it's not just, the c word it's everything <laughs> it's yeah. everything there's a lot going on uh so uh what do you yeah let's get into upper respiratory infections and what kind of herbs um and and what you recommend and how you mm -hmm. look at look at it mm -hmm. you with a cold what is your first step what is your first like the questions that are going through your mind when someone comes down with a cold is that what you said yeah when somebody comes to you with a cold yeah well, I want to step, I would love to like, just take two steps back from that even, um, and just accentuate prevention and bolstering our immune system so that we have a more resilient immune system. Yes. I used to be the person who got sick all the time hmm. and I just kind of thought that was natural. Mm -hmm. And then I started dating and married my husband who never got sick. And like, I would get sick with a cold, with the flu, and he would not. And I was like, huh, like, what is that? <laughs> like, that doesn't seem right. Um, I mean, good for him, right? But just what is going on here? Um, and that was very early on in my herbal studies where I really began to learn and appreciate the value of things like astragalus, which is just a wonderful way to strengthen your immune system. 
of mushrooms, like reishi, I especially yes. love for this. And so, and then of course, so those are the herbs. Those are my two favorite. There are so many to choose from, but those are the two I commonly rely on to uh, enjoy every single day as a way to just help strengthen my immune system. Mm -hmm. And then of course, there's all of those other wonderful lifestyle things, like making sure your vitamin D levels are good and sleep yeah. and having joy and community in your life, eating lots of nutrient, phytonutrient foods and on and on. So there's all of that. And I just don't think we should, when we know we're going into this season with intense flus and COVID and colds, and the fact it seems like people are still just getting those more often because we went so long without being really, um, you know, in contact with those for a long time depending on your situation. So knowing that going into it, I just think it's a really like, what a way to motivate ourselves to do all these things to really help strengthen our immune system. So I would definitely start there. When and the next thing. Um, just have a quick question. When you say um, astragalus and reishi every day, are you using it in the tea form tincture? I, I am. Uh, well, I do a couple of things, I guess. I, I do an astragalus reishi spice tea uh, mm -hmm. all the time. And that is just kind of, you know, putting all the those wonderful things into a pot and putting them on my wood stove for a while. So there's astragalus root, reishi, ginger, cinnamon, mm -hmm. cloves, cardamom, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and the house smells wonderful and then strain that off and just split it, my husband and I. And I think for this, like one tip I would give on this is that I use 30 grams of astragalus root in this. So sometimes I see people like using like one slice of astragalus, um, which has, you know, maybe some benefits and I won't say it has zero benefits, but there's something to be said for those. I was, you know, I was a student of traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda where the doses is, you know, dosages tend to be much higher than like a couple drops of a tincture. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I do that. And um, I take a mushroom blend as a supplement every day too. Uh, nice. So, and then of course, there's like all the other things like Waffle Wednesday is a great way to have elderberry syrup on your waffles, like those things as well. Oh. Um, but, you know, despite all the prevention that we could do and all the strengthening of our immune system, we still get sick. And yeah. that's just what happens. And my next like two steps back advice would be, though, so since we know we're going into this situation where things are more prevalent, we want to strengthen our immune system. And we also want to be prepared for the you know, we're getting sick. And one thing that I really recommend with this is depending on where people are at in their herbal paths, whether they're just beginning or very experienced, is to know some simple things that you have experience with that you can reach for. Because when you are sick, that can be like the worst time to be like, like this is the situation I envision, I guess, is that somebody who's maybe like little or, you know, just a little bit of experience with herbs, they get sick and they're like, oh, I'm sick. So yeah, I'm going to stop reaching for the artificial pink syrup that I get at the, you know, Walgreens or whatever. And I'm going to, I'm going to do something with herbs. That is like, oh, that can be the worst time to do this because <laughs> right. the motivation is high, but like your, you know, maybe your mental faculties or energy or everything yeah. is like very low. So it can be hard to like do something new or just try something out. So it's good to like have that plan in advance. Like when I get sick, I'm going to try this. Um, and over time, I think you kind of figure out like what works tends to work for you. Of course, every virus 
situation can be a little bit different, but you tend to find like what you gravitate towards, what works for you, what you like to take. And so I think just having that idea of what you want to do is a good thing. And one plant that I highly recommend for folks is ginger because ginger is easy to keep on hand. You can like often find it at the store, fresh ginger specifically, um, but you can put it in your freezer if you like want to have some on hand, if you don't regularly have it in your house, for example. But ginger is great because it can meet so many of your common um, symptoms. So for example, you can make a ginger honey and take that little by little to soothe your sore throat. Ooh. Ginger tea is one of my favorites and you can make this varying strengths depending on what you're needing for it, but you can just infuse fresh ginger into some hot water. You can simmer it. Um, you can add a bit of honey and a little bit of lemon to that. And just that, that tea, that super simple tea. I have taken that so many times at the onset of an illness and just had my symptoms just go away. So that's a lovely one to try. And so and that's, I guess, another really great tip is that herbs in terms of like either stopping the illness from settling in or shortening the duration, the onset, like when you feel those telltale signs, you just, you know, you're getting sick before it's like full-blown sickness. It's like, you feel that like drop in energy. You feel like those slight aches and pains. You start to feel cold, whatever it is for you that, you know, like, oh, something's happening right now. Like that is the time to just like meet it full on and go super heavy with herbs. Um, just, you know, immerse yourself, douse yourself with herbs. Ginger is great for that. And then of course, elderberry, which um, mm -hmm. I was just talking to someone the other day, you know, two decades ago, Paul, maybe three, but anyway, a while ago, Paul Bergner had done a survey in the nineties and um, did a survey and asked herbalists what their most common or you know, with the most common herbs that they used were elderberry, like barely made the list. I mean, that was just not even like on people's like, you know, radar. Mm -hmm. I did a similar survey a couple of years ago with 3,500 people responded and elderberry was in the top 10. So that it was just, and we know that, I mean, you walk into a health food store and there's like a whole shelf of elderberry, right? So that one's become so popular and I'm glad it did, it has, because it's easy to grow. It can be sustainably harvested. Uh, it can be quite ubiquitous. It grows in many places. So yeah. yay, elderberry. And that one, I feel like you get the most benefits from with that like onset, right? It's like as soon as you feel sick. And even, you know, I feel like that is the story I hear from a lot of people is really the onset. And when we look at scientific studies, that also seems to be the case too, is that taken at the onset, it can have a really big impact on the duration of and severity of an illness, but taken like five days after you're already sick, doesn't seem like that is, is makes as big of an impact. So I'm not going to say it has no benefit because it's elderberry, but <laughs> yeah, for best practices, I think right, you know, early on is, is the best for them. So do you ever so use, I, do you ever use like a garlic? Cause that's another common one. I think people use for colds and flus and so on. Yeah, but so I was just going to mention garlic. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it is very hot. But that's another one that I love it, like ginger, because it's um, just so readily available that, again, when we're sick, it's just not the time to be like trying the most extravagant new thing. Um, so garlic is fabulous for that. And um, 
yeah, you can also do the garlic honey. Like I mentioned, yeah. ginger honey, garlic honey is great, which kind of tampers that heat a bit. It yeah. is great, especially ginger and garlic. They're great for like the congestion. They're great for the sluggishness, both hot stimulating um, herbs. So they're both going to be great for that. One thing I like to do with uh, garlic is mix it, mince it, let it sit for 15 minutes, then mix it with butter and thyme, either fresh or dried thyme. And the thing about garlic is that it, if you have enough of it, it'll make you want to throw up. Either you <laughs> will throw up if you have too much of it or you just want to. It makes you very nauseous. So adding that time really seems to help because you kind of like the line of like how much garlic you need to take and then where you're going to throw up they're kind of close <laughs> so it's like I think the time helps offset that and the butter does too and so you put that on bread or you can like you know put it on your broccoli or something if you don't want to do bread but um and so you're kind of finding that so you want to take it slow but you really you really are looking for like okay I'm going to take just enough like oh that's that's enough um, but again, it's not like you just want like a tiny little bit of garlic. You really just want to like saturate your body with garlic. Uh, so yeah, that's another lovely one. And you can do other fun stuff with garlic, like make it, um, mix it up with parsley, fresh parsley and lemon and olive oil and salt. I mean, I think mixing it with these other carminative herbs that aren't kind of help with that, just help offset that, that nausea that can happen, but do take it slow. People, some people can eat amazing amounts of raw garlic, no problem. Some people, it doesn't take that much before their tummy gets upset. So it's good to find out where that where that amount is for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I went to a class with, or a workshop with Paul Bergner online, and he was talking about how if you eat enough garlic and you get that garlic breath, then that's a good indication that you have enough that it's in your lungs. <laughs> and it really helps for if there's like a co-infection in your lungs, um, you know, bacterial co-infection especially uh to help clear up that congestion and and support if it gets deeper in your lungs mm -hmm. yeah it's a fascinating thing yeah, yeah yeah it is garlic breath is a good thing that's I, I actually i recommend garlic a lot for families because if you mince it and put it into oil and then you strain off the garlic and just have the garlic oil behind and put that on your feet um, so you put on your feet at night and then you put on an old pair of socks, maybe two oh. pairs of old socks. Oh. And that same thing that you'll then get garlic oil or garlic on your breath because it's, you know, going into your skin, getting into your bloodstream and then your body's kind of like, oh, I have to get rid of this <laughs> and it goes to your lungs. So it's kind of, it's a great way for kids, especially if they have, um, uh, you know, congestion, especially I've also used it preventively for kids who common, like there's some kids out there, if they get a cold, they get an ear infection, like just oh. like that. And I've worked with a lot of families to use the garlic oil on the feet uh, and around the ear. Sometimes yeah. you can put it in the ear, but you don't necessarily need to. You just kind of rub it around the ear. Um, and that is like, okay, if, you know, if my kid has a cold and I know that they often get ear infections, I just immediately start doing the garlic as a preventive to just, mm. then that just doesn't even have to happen. And it's, it works really, really well. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. And then I just had one other question about garlic. Um, you said 15 minutes of leaving it chopped up on, on the cutting board before using it. And can you talk about why that is? 
Yeah, I think I think I probably learned that from Paul, actually. Um, it's that when you do that, the allicin in the plant reacts with oxygen and it becomes more potent. And it's a one way you can just experience that for yourself, because I do not have the mind for pharmacology and constituents and remembering these kinds of things. But if you chop a slice, a little slice of garlic, a little, you know, a little mince piece, and you taste it right after you chop it, uh-huh. and then you tasted it again in 15 minutes. Um, you'll taste the difference. There's a lot more zing to it. Awesome. Thank you. I really like that oil trick uh, because like I'm one of those people who when I was 20, I could eat massive amounts of raw garlic and hot wings, but now I can't, you know? <laughs> and so getting that good, you could probably do that on your, on your neck too. Mm-hmm. And your the, chest. Yeah, yeah. Chest, armpits, oh, maybe yeah. not armpits. Maybe that's too, <laughs> too sensitive, but you're getting, you're bypassing the stomach altogether with that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah idea. it's very effective yeah the, o- the only drawback really is the mess um ah. and the smell um but oh that's only uh, a drawback if you don't like garlic smell right right Just, as a double virgo who likes all my linens clean and not oil and not smelly like that becomes an issue but <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess that's the nice thing about the socks you can just put multiple socks over it right. and it's mm-hmm. like, yeah yeah awesome mm-hmm. cool so um, were there any other herbs that you had in mind for respiratory stuff that we didn't mention yet? Um, well, we mentioned elderberry, which mm-hmm. again, I love it a lot. I I make elderberry syrup is so popular and it's great. I like to have more elder than I do honey. Uh-huh. And so I, you know, t- technically a syrup is a one-to-one ratio of the decoction or tea to, to the syrup or honey, I mean, sorry, the sugar or honey that you're using, which is a very sweet end yeah. result. And in order to get a lot, like you'd be consuming a lot of honey or sugar or whatever sweetener you're using. So I make really strong tea. Um, I, my base start is at 30 grams of elderberries, which I think is a quarter cup. I could be wrong. I know it's 30 grams. Um, it's traditional Chinese medicine I was taught early on to do by weight. So that's how I tend to think about things. But 30 grams of elderberry is like one serving, right? That's one serving of tea. So I'll make a decoction of that. I often put in other plants too, depending on what I want for that day. Um, mm-hmm. But that's like a tea that I sweeten with like a little bit of honey. And then I drink that. Um, so I might make that once, twice a day. Uh, as always, it's good to start lower and then see how your body reacts to things. But so I'm a big fan of like lots of elderberry. I'm not as just personally as a big a fan of like taking five drops of elderberry tincture or a teaspoon of elderberry syrup once a day. So I like a lot. Um, yeah. But and I think it works great again at that onset. Uh, but we should also mention elderflower because yeah. elderflower is also totally different. Same plant, vastly different medicine. Um, although I elderflowers also have immunomodulating properties and do seem to do interact beautifully with our immune system in some way that you can also do an elderflower tea at the onset of an illness with good effects. And I like that kind of old classic traditional formula that we learned from Rosemary, who I think we learned from Juliet, um, who learned from uh, the Roma. So there's you know these lineage there in Western herbalism. That's elderflower, yarrow, and um, I often add rose hips to that too. Mm. Um, 
and peppermint. I knew there was one I was forgetting in peppermint. Um, so that's, I think, the, the classic recipe. Mm -hmm. And so that's a wonderful one at the onset. But that one is also wonderful for, uh, especially for a fever situation. And it's a really well-balanced formula that it works for a, a broad spectrum of different fever experiences. Mm -hmm. So I, I really like that one. I think it's a good one in terms of being prepared. It's good to just have that on hand, have it blended. Traditional Medicinals makes a tea bag and they have, I'm not usually a fan of um, tea bag types of teas, but Traditional Medicinals makes excellent quality teas mm -hmm. that if you want something that's going to be, you know, good quality and super easy, like when you're sick, that's mm -hmm. a good way to go. Or you can have, you know, the bulk things mixed up your own um, before, but it's a, that's a good one to have on hand. And, and you'd want to use like the whole box. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like one tea bag with the situation. Yeah. You want to use a lot at a time. And I think the, um, the steeping time is important yeah. too. I'll steep that for 15 to 30 minutes. Uh, it's not like the most amazing tasting thing, but it's not totally horrible either. So I think that one's a really good one to have on hand. And while we're talking about fevers, another one that I like for fevers a lot that I don't hear a lot of people talk about is chamomile. Oh yeah. And okay this to have a super strong chamomile tea so we're talking using lots more than you'd use for your like after dinner cup um, and you steep it again you know 15 20 minutes and this does not taste lovely like you're not going to be like <laughs> wow thank you rosalie for teaching me about this delicious tasting tea um you're probably not going to love the taste it's pretty bitter when it's at this stage but that's a good thing right this is like those bitter principles really helping and so this with this cooling process and so this is particular for that fever where you feel hot you're restless you're whiny no mm -hmm. judgment but that's what happens sometimes when we have fevers right um <laughs> and then also that achiness and the um headache that like mm -hmm. that just really intense discomfort that comes, it's like you have a fever and you're very uncomfortable. You might not be sweating yet. Take this super strong chamomile tea and then go lay down. It, it's a little bit mind altering, honestly. Like it's, it's incredibly sedative. So this is not something that you take and be like, okay, I'm good. I'm going to go to work now. No, this is something you take and you like lay down and wrap up in your favorite blankies and your favorite teddy and, um, and yeah, and head to sleep and wake up feeling so much better. Awesome. Thank you for that. I really love your style about talking lovers. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like down to earth and funny and, you know, articulate. So just wanted to say that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, totally. So with fevers, um, you know, sometimes we, we might jump the gun and like have our fever reducing herbs at the beginning stages of a fever when really, you know, it's our body trying to like heat up and make an in-hospital environment for the virus or bacteria or, or whatever infection. So with those, with the chamomile, is that something that um, you can do right from the beginning of a fever when you're uncomfortable or do you, would you still wait a little bit? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh yeah. No. So I really like the chamomile for when you're hot and restless okay. and, um, and you're just really uncomfortable like that feeling. Then I, what I associate more with the beginning stages of a fever is that like you feel cold and maybe like tense and 
you want to bundle up and everything, but you're just really, fo- you're shivering, you're cold. Mm-hmm. For that stage, that's when I'm really reaching for the ginger garlic. I love those um, more for that stage or could be a, you know, a camo or camo, a cayenne tea. Uh, I love oregano and bee balm tea for that stage mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, what I really like too is that bundling up is so important because when you, one thing I've noticed with like things like oregano, bee balm, cayenne, those are so hot that they complete the circle pretty quickly and that you'll drink them as a hot tea, feel your insides warm up and then disperse. And so it's important to like really um, bundle up and you could do some fancy formulating to put some astringents in there. So it doesn't, you're just not like dispersing, but it's like, if people don't know what I'm talking about, I know you've experienced it. Like if you've had a spicy soup and it's like the soup warms you up, but then you start sweating um, yeah. and like that heat that, and then you get like, you can actually feel cold after that. Right. Cause you're like, your body is now taken over the cooling process. So at those beginning stages of a fever, I think it's really nice to support the body and help the body warm up. We just don't want to overdo it mm-hmm. um, because you just want to be supportive um, so it's nice to just kind of, yeah, bundle up after all the spiciness or during the spiciness, I should say. Yeah. That's a very important point. Every, like taking a hot shower too, you know, then you go straight to bed and mm-hmm. many covers. Like it's in a hat and mm-hmm. yeah. it's in the sleeping bag. Yeah. That makes me think too. One of my favorite things with that chamomile, you take two cups of chamomile, make a super strong tea out of it. Um, and then strain that off into your bath water. Um, it looks like you're bathing in urine. Like it's just an unfortunate color, right? Cause it's going to turn everything yellow. Um, but just don't think about that. Forget I said it actually. Um, but you just take this bath and this super strong chamomile tea. And that's another wonderful way to just, you know, soak up all of that wonderfulness and just really help with that fever process, help with aches and pains. It just helps feeling our goal isn't to like quell the fever or fight the fever. It's really about comfort right? Because things can get pretty uncomfortable with the fever. Um, it also just helps supporting you rest. Like when you have a fever and you're hot and you're achy and um, you're in pain, it can be hard to rest in that situation, so, which is what your body really, really needs. So the chamomile is not meant to override the fever process. It's just really meant to support you and help you, uh, you know, help your immune system best support whatever it needs to do in the situation. Yeah, that makes total sense. And so just one last question about uh, colds and and flus. If you have, um, you're pretty much over most of your symptoms, but you have a lingering cough. Mm. uh, Do you have any tips for that? Oh, I do. Because this always happens to me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I have several thoughts. One, like the simple Plus thing I can say, I think mullen is great in this situation. Um, strong mullen tea is just to help support that process. Um, I love linden too. So I'll often combine those two. And I love the way linden tastes better than mm-hmm. mullen. Um, linden is nice because it has this aromatics and demulsants qualities to it in addition. Mm-hmm. So the combination of those two is one of my favorites. Uh, sometimes that cough, like tends to be this dry hacking cough. And so if that's the case, this kind of spasmodic dry cough, mullen, linden, they help with that. Adding a little bit of marshmallow too, because we're really wanting to just add demulcency and moisture uh, to and help support our lungs to be their wonderful moist cells. 
So that can be really important throughout the day is just kind of restoring lung moisture. Um, cordyceps is another one that I really like for this. A mushroom uh, really supports lung yin, can help with giving some energy, you know, just kind of, it's not a stimulant, but it helps support your energy levels, which can be nice when you're starting to feel better. So I like that too. And so I recommend those during the day, like just kind of saturating yourself with that during the day. If it is dry spasmodic cough, you know, staying away from things that maybe you were relying on in the beginning, like ginger or elecampane, which we didn't talk about, um, but anything that might be kind of stimulating and expectorant is probably not going to be super helpful at this stage. And then um, I think this can be very helpful at night because what often happens to me at least is I lay down at night and I'm, I've been feeling fine for a couple hours, I lay down and then suddenly I cannot stop coughing. It's just like this hacking cough that's so miserable, hurts yeah. my throat, hurts my lungs, and I can't sleep, right? Mm -hmm. It's hot. It's totally horrible. I feel like having that tea that I mentioned throughout the day helps decrease that. However, if it gets to that situation where you're just like, oh, this is horrible, that's when I lay really heavy on antispasmodic herbs, often in tincture form, um, but you could do a glycerite too. Um, but those two forms being because they're not high in liquid, which is helpful when you're going to bed. Um, and also that they're just really fast acting. So let me just, I'll explain what I mean, like just in detail. I love valerian for this, just to straight up. Um, there's so many you can choose from, lobelia, uh, California poppy. I just, I love valerian. So I have a, a bottle of valerian tincture by my bed and maybe I'll just, if I know this, this is, I'm in this process, I'll just take some before I even lay down. Uh, but then I'll, maybe if I start coughing, I'll just, again, take the valerian tincture, like 30 drops. Lay down five minutes later, if it's still an issue, I'll take 60 drops. Lay down, still an issue, I'll take another 60 drops. I kind of just stay, you know, I'm not really counting the drops where you just kind of know once you're working with it, what the dropper looks like of what you need to take. But basically, I'm just like every five minutes, really like hitting that again. And after you do that for a while, you'll get a sense of like just how much you need to take. And that'll just stop that coughing process and just put you to sleep really quickly, which is what your body needs. During the day, you could also rely on antispasmodics like that. Valerian isn't so great because it can be, it can make you tired. California poppy could be a better choice. But really the physiological issue often is this dryness. And so we really want to accentuate addressing the dryness of the lungs, then rely on the antispasmodics uh, for more of like, oh, I really need to get to rest. Or if it just, you know, becomes really horrible, then certainly like, let's get the, let's take the antispasmodics and also restore moisture. Lobelia can be another low dose one that can be really great with stopping that process as well. We definitely want to provide comfort. I just wouldn't want to do only antispasmodics and not address the dryness. Yeah, because they can actually make the dryness worse. I mean, just a tincture mm -hmm. with alcohol makes the dryness worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could. Yeah, yeah great advice. Um, so is there anything on the respiratory system and on colds and flus that you wanted to add before we wrap up for the day? Oh, there's so much. But one thing I was going to mention too is that yeah. um, when I was in Iceland many years ago, I was visiting Anna Rosa Robert's daughter, and she recommend. She said what they do there after a cold is they take Icelandic moss and cook it into a milk of some kind, whether it's like dairy milk or she said she always used almond milk, rice milk, um, and then cinnamon. 
cinnamon is another lovely plant that often is not recognized for how cool it is in terms of demulcency um, and that moisture in there too. And so this was like an af, you know, like a post um, cold re restorative simple soup, I guess is what it is. Um, so I like that, you know, I bought, brought home Icelandic moss with me. It's not always easy to find. But other um, seaweeds can be used like that again, that demulcency, but just this like very simple to digest, restorative, moistening. Yeah, all of so I love that too. Um, it's just, yeah, that in when you're recovering from illness, it's so easy to just be like, okay, back to life is normal. But I think it's really important that we have these things, you know, practices, whether it's how we rest or how we're taking care of ourselves and the herbs we have these practices that we're doing post illness because it's very important to fully heal so that we can um you know after an illness our immune system is often stronger right because it's just met this pathogen it's learned how um to to work with that pathogen so we have this opportunity to be stronger than we were before but it's hard to do that if we aren't continuing to like really take care of ourselves so it's important whether whatever that is for folks, whatever kind of soup, whatever kind of herbs, etc. Yeah, that's that's a really important part is the yeah. is the follow through. Mm, good yeah. point. Yeah, that that's another thing I've been seeing people lately. It's like they're they just want to get back back into it too early, and then they get like a rebound or something. Sure. Like yeah. Well, it can certainly be hard. I mean, sometimes we don't get to choose when we're back at it, whether it's the, our kids who need us or our job, who's insisting we come back. We don't, you know, we don't always have a say in that. Um, so, but again, those practices, like recognizing like, okay, like this is happening in my life. The kids need me. I have to go back to the job, whatever it is. Um, but saying, okay, but how can I still, you know, meet myself halfway and doing yeah. whatever I need, whether it's saying no to some things, whether it's having, you know, more restorative teas, foods, et cetera. There's, we just have to do the best that we can. Getting to bed a little earlier. Something yeah, like exactly. Yeah. 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 I would, I have one more thing to add about all of this is um, something I've been thinking about lately. So I live in Washington state on the Eastern side. So it's high desert. We have um, at least four seasons a year including, you know, winter, where, as I mentioned, I'm looking out onto the snow-filled landscape. And for four to six months, we don't really see temperatures above freezing here. Mm -hmm. And one of my most practices, important practices is that I go outside every day and I wow. walk. And um, sometimes I go out in the, like, in the hillsides and snowshoe, but oftentimes I just, I put on ice cleats mm -hmm. and like, depending on the day, three to five layers of wool. Mm -hmm. and scarves and hats and everything and I go on a walk and this is just such an important has become such an important practice for me I have no doubt that that is also helping with immune system resilience but more than anything it's like incredible sense of joy to be out there I've I've hated winter for so much of my life I grew up in the southwest desert so this northern version of winter was a little bit foreign to me for a while um yeah. And it's so easy to love it when my garden is in full bloom and when it's so easy to just walk outside and not have to wear tons of layers of clothes and ice cleats and everything. So I, I've been <laughs> resistant uh, to winter, but the cabin fever is very real. So yeah. I had to learn to adjust. And so I just want to encourage folks to get out there, even if it's um, cold, even, you know, be safe, be warm, 
be in safe places, put on your, I mean, I wear my ice cleats without fail. Um, people fall here all the time. In fact, just last night I was talking to someone who fell and broke their wrist. So it's important to be safe, but I think it's also very important to get out there and just the joy that can be found. I, I live in the wilderness. So sometimes I have these, like, like a couple of weeks ago, I heard uh, wolves howling yeah. and just kind of serenading me off, off the ridge, uh, which was amazing. But that happens few and far between. Really, what gets me out there every day is you know, how the sun catches the falling snow and lights, you know, lights it all up, or watching the following the bunny tracks and just wondering what their lives might be, or nibbling on pine needles or Douglas fir needles along the way, uh, seeing the birds eating the last of the rose hips. I mean, all of that is just so so yeah. seasonal, so restorative to my soul and um and it's also just a beautiful thing to get out there and see what's going on in the neighborhood yeah totally there's something so beautiful and serene about like a fully snowed area like mm -hmm. fresh snow and everything is pure and shining and bright um like glowing mm. and everything's clean yeah. <laughs> there's, you know, it just covers over everything and yeah yeah yeah, I think that's a great practice. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank yeah. you so much for your practical and um, your depth of wisdom. And I really appreciate your connection to nature. And uh, I feel like this has been one of my favorite episodes. So I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Oh, thank you so much for the invite. It's been really fun. I can't believe that we've, we're already like well into an hour. <laughs> Just went by so fast. Yeah, yeah it's a pleasure. Really <laughs> Yeah. So how can folks learn more about you and where can they find your podcast? How can they study with you? Um, yeah. So I, um, my business name is Herbs with Rosalie. So you can find the podcast Herbs with Rosalie, YouTube channel Herbs with Rosalie. Um, the best place I think is to be a part of my newsletter, which you can get on at herbswithrosalie.com. I write emails every Wednesday, they go out. And that's really where I spend the bulk of my time in terms of responding to people and just kind of pouring my heart into that rather than say like social media. But of course I'm on all the social media, well, not all of them, but especially Instagram and Facebook, um, I'm most active there. So um, yeah, those are great ways to get in, in touch. And then also you have your books, Alchemy of Herbs and Wild Remedies that people yes, thank you. about. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, I have a couple of books out. Alchemy of Herbs is really about herbal energetics mm -hmm. and finding the herbs that work well for you. And Wild Remedies is about um, your connection to the world around you, learning how to forage plants and, and rely on them for food and medicine. And then I have an online school where I have a variety of courses, including Rooted Medicine Circle, which is really kind of came out of the Wild Remedies book. And we spend 10 months in that course, which is very seasonally focused uh, for wherever you are in the world. And it's about making uh, potent herbal medicines that you're really connected to. So that sounds amazing. Kind of a fun way to get involved too. Really fun. Well, thank you again, Rosalie. And it was really a pleasure to get to chat with you today. And hopefully yeah, likewise. We sometime. Yes, I hope so. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. Yeah, Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Thank you.